many books can you read in quarantine before you go completely insane? Poetry is brief, war and peace is too long. Oh, what will I do with my brain? With my brain. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the Isolation Station. I'm your host, Dan Fuller, and I'm joined again by Sam Fisher. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've just had my daily exercise. I, uh, good. Constitutional. Constitutional, indeed. There's a, a, a kind of little nature reserve near my house, which is... I think a lot of the local people find it a bit creepy. I've heard that from multiple sources, but... <laughs> It means no one's there, so it's it's kind of quite nice for the isolation. Um, I've been, what else I've been doing? Oh, I'm enjoying my dad's new uh, coffee uh, melange that he's invented, which is uh, so. So the idea is to, because we all drink so much coffee, to to stop us being so wired. We're now doing half decaf, half caffeinated. Uh, that's truly, that's truly an innovation. Well, he he's he's an innovator. He's an innovator. Uh, Tyler's. Um Apart from that, I've got some, oh yeah, I've got some access to some books that have been in storage, and I'm currently chosen to read a book called Horus by an author called John Cowper Powis, who's uh, mm. kind of on the theme of today in a way. Actually, he's a he's a Welsh modernist, uh, and he kind of fits the bill of the books that I read and that he's uh, long dead and also long out of print. <laughs> so come down the shop. One, one of your key strengths as a bookseller. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah. your, your recommendations for books that are, are long out of print. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You would have enjoyed this 70 years ago. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Picture yourself in front of a roaring log fire with the wires. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, who have we got with us today, Sam? So uh, I'm going to be talking to Ruth Gilligan, um, yep. and yeah, John Copper Powers is a is a good comparison because I'm going to be talking about her her new book, The Butchers, which is a very rich and folkloric novel set in Ireland um, during the BSE crisis in 1996, mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of a novel about a clash between modernity and tradition uh, awesome. between the city and the countryside. It's set in County Monaghan. Um, wow. Yeah, it's a really brilliant book. I'm not going to say more because we'll be talking about it in the in the interview later on. But I've also been reading uh, the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. Pretty highbrow. I don't know if you've heard. Oh of it. man! Oh <laughs> man! Oh man! No, we need to talk about this off air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe this can be. Uh, uh, if you just join us on the forum, um, yeah. a couple of interesting threads. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, a tasty, tasty adventure lined up for tonight. So I'm pretty excited. I want to play a chaotic, neutral elf mage. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, yeah, just quickly before we move on, I did want yeah. to just give a big thank you to everyone who supported our yeah. Burley Fisher Brain Trust initiative this week, uh, posting books on Instagram. Woo! Our whole center was temporarily closed, but they are open <laughs> again now. So we're able to post out whoop, whoop, whatever you need. Uh, but there's a restriction. We can only post one book at a time. So 
thankfully the butchers is just one book so if you if you want to order it yeah. just drop us a line on podcast at burleyfisherbooks.com but yeah everyone's support has meant so much to us really been you guys that's like kept us um enthusiastic and looking forward and getting out of bed <laughs> Getting out of bed. <laughs> the Smiths have been turned <laughs> off, and uh... <laughs> we've untugged our t-shirts. And uh, so, um, on that hopeful note, Ruth Gilligan is going to lead us in with a reading from the Butchers. New York, January 2018. Even now, 22 years since he took the photograph. He still cannot quite believe the lack of blood. The cold store is in a big room, maybe 20 by 20 at a push. The wall tiles riddled with cracks and greenish buds of mould. Below, the floor is a dismal skim of concrete. Above, the bulb's glare is a merciless white. And in between, the metal brackets traverse the ceiling, the meat hooks laying to empty in their rows. The lack of windows means it is impossible to tell whether it is night or day outside. It also means the walls are bare, save where a portrait of the Virgin Mary has inexplicably been nailed. And apart from our Blessed Mother, there is only one other person in that dilapidated room. There is a man hanging from the ceiling, upside down. The butcher is still fully clothed, minus his socks and boots. His overalls are fastened. His pale shirt is neatly tucked. Only the wounds confirm the worst, that he isn't just unconscious, isn't just sleeping the wrong way up like a bat. Only the holes in the bridge of his feet where the rusty hook has been pierced through, taking the weight of his body and holding it aloft. Leaving aside the wounds, there is something almost languid to the flow of the butcher's limbs. The flesh has been drained of any trace of violence, any trace of how he possibly found himself up there and the eyes betraying no pain as they stare out from beyond death towards the cold store doorway, where they meet the blinding flash of the camera. Jesus Christ! Ronan steps back from the photograph and trips on a roll of bubble wrap by his feet. Usually, his apartment is pristine. Today, it is a chaos of boxes and gaffer tape. He glances at the clock on the wall. The delivery men will be arriving any minute. He is leaving this one unwrapped until the last possible moment. Two decades on, there is still no denying the impact the butcher has had on him. He started to accept that maybe he will never produce a finer shot. The maybe, despite the awards and the international shows, his peak was right back at the very beginning, when he was only a young Egypt wandering the Irish borderlands with a second-hand cannon and a baggie full of pills, a determination to find the perfect image that would get his career off the ground at last. So he supposes it is ego more than anything, that has finally persuaded him to put this photo on public display. It is good, very good. It deserves to be seen. In the past, he always concluded, reluctantly, that showing it just wasn't worth the hassle. There'd been rumours around the body, suspicious circumstances and all that, which meant the image would have been treated more like a piece of evidence than a piece of art. But by now, the dust has long settled. No one even mentions it anymore the ancient group they called the Butchers, especially not over here in some small museum on the outskirts of Manhattan, where every curator looks about half his age and every photograph is accompanied by a brief wall text that reduces the image to its biographical minimum. The Butcher, 
by Ronan Monks, County Monaghan, 1996. The man in the photograph is thought to have belonged to a group of ritual cattle slaughterers known as the Butchers. Composed of eight men, the group traveled the length and breadth of Ireland practicing their folkloric customs. However, around the time of the photograph, the Butchers disbanded after hundreds of years of service. Today, very little record remains of their ancient unorthodox traditions. The buzzer sounds and Ronald startles. He presses the button by the intercom and hears the delivery men coming up the stairs, their hardy footsteps and easy drawl. It won't take them long to move the pictures. The museum is only a 20 minute drive across the river. Some of them will probably be half Irish, just like him. All of them will probably expect a tip. But for these final moments, the only man that matters is the one in the photograph, his shadow pooled black, his toenails curved white in ten tiny crescent moons. Ronan slides the metal chain and undoes the latch. This could be a mistake, he thinks. Could mean giving up a secret buried safe for 22 years. Jesus Christ. He turns the handle and the light comes blinding in. Welcome, Ruth. Thanks so much for that lovely reading. How are you doing? Thanks very much. Yes, I'm good. Thank you very much. Excellent news. So, The Butchers, um, it came out last week, right? Yes, on Thursday. On Thursday. Okay, cool. Um, strange times for, yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how, how are you feeling about, yeah, everything? Everything. Yeah, just give me a question to start. Yeah, it's an easy, <laughs> I mean, it's a strange time. I mean, currently I'm supposed to be in Dublin gearing up for my Irish book launch, which is going to be tonight on Grafton Street. And we're going to have, you know, all the friends and family and then go to the pub and get drunk. And it's going to be great. And mm -hmm. Um, instead, I'm stuck in, you know, the same room that I seem to spend my entire life in at <laughs> yeah. the moment, which is which is fun. So, no, look, I mean, it's been it's been a really bizarre time. I think, uh, you know, I kind of vacillate between being like, woe is me and also major first world problems because, you know, uh, I am in my flat in London with my partner and, you know, uh, we don't have any screaming children and I am able to, you know, uh, life isn't awful like it's really fine so I think it does feel kind of difficult to kind of moan too much about uh the situation um also it's been like I don't know it's been really interesting to see all these the ways in which people are adapting to the situation Definitely. like I yeah. have done more kind of virtual like zoom readings and <laughs> Q and A's and I was on a panel last night with some other Irish authors on like the stay at home festival and just I'm, I'm completely blown away by the, the speed at which people have kind of like come up with these initiatives in response to being on, you know in isolation mode that it's really kind of amazing people are so quick to like set all the stuff yeah, up so it is, um, it is kind of amazing um what people can come up with if they're forced to no to I know but, but just with such speed so as yeah. I said in a way like I've kind of almost been busier than like I think I would have been when the coming out because in a way like it comes out and you get some reviews and you twiddle your thumbs and you kind of that's kind of it but as I said um and then you know 
further into the summer then festival season starts and that's when you maybe are more like out and about but mm-hmm. as I said I feel like I've actually been more um I, I feel like I've become like a youtuber or like a vlogger I seem to spend my life like making videos <laughs> of myself or like talking to like a virtual audience so I'm like oh my god I really don't know how to do this so that's been kind of a fun learning curve a learning curve um, yeah which has been you know fun in its own way so yeah that leads me on to my first question really which is um I think this is a really timely book in many ways which is something we'll come back to but something that also struck me as I was reading it is that for many of these characters uh it's a book about new beginnings which feels like something that we could all be thinking about at the moment and about how far that's possible uh, and how much they are kind of pulled back into the past. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that in Ireland and in that specific moment in 1996, because it seems like a year, both in Britain and in Ireland, that has such kind of resonance within people's memory. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw only recently announced that the ITV are planning to show the whole Euro 96 football tournament so I was like oh my god because that features throughout the butchers because the novel yeah. is set in 1996 I was like oh all my research is going to be just you know there on screen so that's handy I thought that was such a brilliant metronome for the book oh yeah I also managed to get it wrong in the first couple of drafts so like the first time that my partner read uh, the first chunk of chapters and like it was the first person I'd shown any of it to and I was really nervous for what he was going to say and whether he was going to say this was good and going in the right direction and he just turned around and his his main piece of advice was uh, Ruth you have the Euros final taking place in July and actually took place in June so you're just gonna have to change it <laughs> I was like okay good that's really helpful literary feedback thank you very much <laughs> but he was my my football consultant for the duration of the novel <laughs> I feel like it's good to have readers for different things. Uh, exactly. No, that was his, <laughs> a serious contribution. Um, sorry, that's not to answer your question. Mm. But no, I do think that, uh, yeah, you're, I mean, your reading is spot on. I think, you know, 1996, originally I chose that year because, you know, the novel is set around the, the BSE crisis and the ni- 1996 was kind of the peak of that. So that's why I chose that year. But kind of the more research I did into that, year in general and you know as you say specifically within Ireland and 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 to a lesser extent the UK you know it it seemed to me just like a really interesting almost like hinge point in Irish Mm -hmm. history because like 96 I mean it's still bonkers when you think of it like 1996 was when the divorce legislation finally came into Ireland which is like that's not that long ago so that is mad um Mm -hmm. and then also like that it's only three years since homosexuality was decriminalized in Ireland so I mean in many ways Ireland at that point is still really playing catch-up in terms of being like a modern country um but then on the flip side you know whenever you read articles about like the Celtic Tiger or the Ireland's like global economy like it often references around 1996 as being the starting point for Ireland starting to emerge as a kind of international or global player and you know the millennium's on the horizon and starting to turn a corner so as I said I I I found it was really this kind of hinge point between you know the past and the future and, and 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 kind of tradition versus modernity which is kind of the main tension um at the heart of the novel um and yeah that plays out like on a national level um but also then within the characters themselves you know that's why the book is set around four characters there's like a mother and a daughter and a father and a son because I was really interested in like the clash of generations and as you say gets passed down from one generation to the next and the tension of leaving leaving the old ways or behind and and looking to the future but how much do you want to let go of entirely so all those tensions is that are playing out on 
an individual, but also a national scale. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was really um, interesting the way that all of the characters in, uh, on some level are resisting modernity and also de defining the modernity that they're resisting differently. Um, and I, I thought that was really well drawn um, because it really gave a sense that um, even though this is kind of a, a prismatic moment, I suppose, um, it's still, <laughs> there, there, there's still a sense that the understanding of each of the, that each of the characters have of what that modernity is going to mean is entirely different. So I thought that was yeah really brilliant. Thanks. Yeah, and I think also like it's worth saying that you know there are there are still moments where like Ireland doesn't feel like um, mm -hmm. and that's not to be like dissing my country, but you know that that tension still exists. Like there are still hangovers from the past that's that seem to exist, and obviously part of that is to do with the Catholic Church, and part of that is like for other reasons but I think you know it's not something that like you know we were really wrangling with in the late 90s and now it's all resolved like I find it so fascinating that you know Ireland as I said is a country that is kind of uber global and uber kind of progressive in some ways but there are still aspects that are totally still playing catch-up so that's still an ongoing um, negotiation I suppose. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the butchers and uh, what what drew you to the the idea behind their group without obviously giving too much away uh, for people who haven't read the book yet. I just wondered where that idea had originated. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things in all this conversation about kind of tradition and modernity is like one thing that's always interested me in, in, in Ireland is kind of the kind of not only obviously is it a nation, you know, where organised religion has played a very kind of important role and, and many continues to do so, um, but also like there's, there's this proliferation of like superstitions and old traditions and folklore and myth and legend that people really genuinely set a lot of stock by um and that plays a role and you know particularly in rural communities but like it seems to be yeah just really really prominent and has and and, and that being the idea that you could be kind of a staunch catholic but also kind of believe in the fairies just people didn't really see that there's a clash there like people can hold both those things side by side so i think the kind of ireland's kind of folkloric past was really interesting to me and i just started reading loads of books of 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 Irish kind of myths and legends and folklore and uh, as you can probably imagine loads of them had to do with cows because you know, <laughs> yeah. cows and cattle have like played a key role and still sort of play a key role in the Irish economy identity mm -hmm. like loads of different ways so I started just kind of making a note of all of these and kind of mashing them together so while I was on the one hand writing a book about you know the BSE crisis and sort of I don't know, the Irish beef mafia almost, because there, there, there are a few kind of like almost gangster-like figures um, in the book. Um, on the flip side, yeah, you have all this kind of folkloric stuff um, around cattle. So as I said, I pulled together little bits and pieces from here and there and formed this group called The Butchers, mm -hmm. um, which, yeah, so they themselves are a creation of mine, but almost all the different elements in terms of like traveling around the country and killing cattle in certain ways and the you know uh the fact that you would like throw your shoe after one of them as they depart to wish them luck on their travels like none of that is made up or at least none of that is any more made <laughs> up than than you know these existing yeah. actual books that i that i read for research but it's been really interesting almost also like how people don't really know if the butchers are real or not so my my editor for example it was really late into the editorial process when we were trying to kind of figure out like a bit of a 
a knot in the book that we couldn't quite untie. And I was like, oh, well, we could just change it so that the butchers do this instead of mm-hmm. that. And he's like, oh, but, you know, did they do that? And I'm like, um, you do know I've made the butchers up. And he was like, shocked. He couldn't <laughs> believe it. I mean, obviously, like, he's English. So maybe he just thought, like, oh, strange Irish oak legend. Like, obviously, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally normal. Cold yeah. butchers. Yeah, um, sure. Cool. But this idea, and, but it's, it's, it feels strange <laughs> yeah. to talk about it because it's like the, the idea of one thing being like, true versus not versus made up i don't know and you're dealing with the, the realm of myth and legend and folklore like who yeah. decides that one is more true than the exactly. other so yeah that's been quite fun mm. yeah no i i love the i love the fun that the book has with the, the the way that it kind of enacts the way that the stories are made and the way that those stories are used in order to create the butchers i thought was for a reader just really fun to kind of i just and i couldn't believe i mean so how many, many stories there are about cows it's uh <laughs> it's like they just keep they keep coming <laughs> but yeah i suppose that leads me cows leads me on to the next question which is kind of gesturing towards the timeliness of it um of course the book is uh largely about the bse crisis in 96 and about the the way that that was a trigger point for a clash between tradition and modernity and a lot of it is about containment and confinement of the characters because of the way that these traditions play themselves out. And it felt really useful to read about a situation which is much like our situation, but of course, entirely different. Gives you a great sense of perspective. So I, I'm sure that readers coming to the book will find that as well. How, how have you felt coming back to the books? I know it's so long between when you finish a book and then the publishing machinery creaks into life and turns it into the book that we read how does it feel kind of coming back to to these characters yeah I mean it is funny how you know as you say like when this first began versus now the idea that you know it would be in any way timely just didn't exist even a little bit so it is really strange to see that I was going back Mm -hmm. especially just as I've been doing kind of interviews or being asked to write articles around the book or whatever um, I kind of dug up some of the main research books that I had read in the run-up to and one of the things I'd forgotten almost that I spent a long time researching even though not loads of it makes way into the book is the kind of um, I read this amazing book called Scared to Death which was all about um, kind of disease and pandemics and, and, and specifically the role the media um, plays in that and kind of the way that actually, mm-hmm. and I, I notice it so much more now, the way that certain headlines are worded or the way that information is delivered and, you know, the endless kind of tension between like scientists and experts and, and what information, you know, the press chooses to divulge or whatever. So I think having thought about that all at length or examined at length vis-a-vis the kind of BSE crisis it's really interesting to, to kind of watch that at the moment play out in kind of a similar way in terms of like the the, the confinement stuff yeah I mean I think you know I, I you know I have some thoughts which I'm sure we're all having at the moment about kind of uh, some feelings many feelings about like and especially about kind of community um and and also there being attention you know there was an article even in the guardian today about like how the the crisis has made the author realize that like they're they're done with london and actually being out in the countryside is the only way for them so i think it's really interesting as well to see how these things impact on kind of urban versus rural communities and even how urban and rural communities kind of view each other as well as viewing themselves I'm from Dublin like I'm from like a, a city like I didn't grow up on a farm or in a rural 
the background. So part of the journey when I was writing this book was to do kind of shed loads of research to make sure that I was getting that shed loads. Obviously, mm-hmm. it feels like a terrible pun, but there you go. Um, there's loads of them. There's loads of them. Um, you know, so I did spend a lot of time in Monaghan and Cabin, <laughs> which is the county next to it, talking to farmers and doing research about what it was actually like at that time and, and during that period. So I suppose the the, the other thing that the, the the looming question in terms of timeliness that would have been probably what we we would have been talking about had this pandemic not come come upon us is Brexit, um, uh, and because it was so much we were so obsessed with it in the run up to Christmas and it now seems to have just completely disappeared. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's like the completely bonkers bit about like everyone being like, oh "God, your novel's so timely" because it's about like disease. Um, whereas you know. When I first started this book, it was a long time ago. Like, it takes me bloody ages to write a book. So I started, the first idea was kind of germinating in, like, 2014, 2015. So I started writing, or at least researching, before the Brexit vote. Um, But then, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that I'm writing this novel that is set predominantly in the Irish borderlands and is kind of, you know, takes place right at the tail end of the Troubles and is in many ways about smuggling contraband goods from the UK into Ireland to, like, avoid certain Mm -hmm. rules and regulations. Um, Obviously, everyone I spoke to was like, oh, my God, talk about topical. Um, And as you say, it's so hilarious. Well, not hilarious, but it's just... um, I'm just going to go with hilarious. Um, <laughs> that suddenly, now the book is out, that is like a little blip in the distant memory. Like no one is asking yeah. about that. And like, why should they be? Because we've got bigger concerns at the moment. But yeah, it did feel really weird writing that book while, you know, the, every day the papers were talking about Brexit and the border and stuff and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, I feel like I've almost, this is like the second round of timeliness chat um, attached to this book. I mean, it is, all the border stuff is is really fascinating um, and was yeah. a huge part of, and you know, a lot of the research again that I did into the book was, was uh, you know, reading about the border yeah. at that time. And that's another thing about it being a hinge moment in Irish history, you know, 1996, it's like two years before the Good Friday Agreement is signed. So it's right at the tail end of the troubles. So things are you know, starting to come to an end. Although there, there were still, you know, there were still a few bombings that year. So um, there was actually an IRA mm-hmm. bombing in London that year. So you know, things aren't quite, um, quite settled yet. Uh, but as I said, almost, almost. So that's why it's a, it's another kind of pivotal moment. Uh, but all this, this idea that there were, there were, you know, just when the violence is starting to come to an end, you've got these guys who are literally smuggling crates and crates of, of contraband steak over the Irish border um, and like the police and the army and stuff were just like bloody hell lads like we've just spent yeah. like how many decades trying to keep this area cool and calm and you're just like basically taking the piss with this yeah, <laughs> yeah. big time yeah and then actually and then I mean talk about taking the piss I then discovered in my research that um, they then decided they would barricade the border shut to keep these cattle smugglers to stop them doing their um their smuggling operations and the army name for that uh you know that mission to to barricade the border shut was called operation matador (laughs) yeah but that's like fully true like it's fully true and that is like my favorite thing about doing research for a book is you find this shit that like is way funnier and way more <laughs> the wall than you would ever possibly come up with yourself I was just like that this is like a little gift I was like thank you very much I love feeling that you can just imagine two like police officers sat drink, drinking shit coffee <laughs> laughing and laughing to them yeah 
that yeah. could be like a yeah some fan fiction yeah. maybe i'll write that and uh, send it to you <laughs> please do i would love that thank you <laughs> yeah and i guess maybe we'll have to do another podcast when this is all over and the paperback comes out we can talk about brexit that would be the uh, <laughs> i think this book's gonna have a few lives i hope it, i hope it doesn't come become timely in another sense three years down the line because of some other i mean if, if, but... if well maybe i don't want to wish us a catastrophe but if it means the books can you know more <laughs> readers hurrah no, I'm um, yeah, who yeah. knows? Publicists rubbing their hands together. Yeah, I know. What can we concoct? <laughs> so I guess that leads me to my final question, really, uh, which, as this is a booksellers podcast, what have you been reading? Have you had time to read? Have you been able to concentrate at all? Or So I am currently halfway through the new E.B. Wilde, mm-hmm. The Base Rock, which is so good. She is like one of my just more yeah, time favorite authors. I think she's kind of exceptional. Um, oh it's just yeah it's so good it's such a treat um so I'm absolutely devouring that um I read a couple of proofs so like novels that are coming out although now it's like when will they come out because a couple of them I thought they were coming out in the in the coming months so I read um well I read the new Daisy Johnson Sisters which is coming Uh, out in the summer which she's also one of my faves and um, mm. I read a great one by an Irish author called Conor O'Callaghan. He wrote a novel called We Are Not in the World, which is supposed to be coming out next month, but I hear it's just been pushed back. So it's one of these things where you're like, well, when are these books, when can I share these with the world? Because it turns out they're not actually coming out for a while. So um, yeah, I've been kind of getting through some of those. Next up on my list, I really want to read The Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luiselli, um, yeah. which won the Rathbones Folio last, last week because I've been meaning to read it for ages. Now it seems like a great opportunity. Um, yeah. So, and I'm also, I'm also reading, I'm going back and reading all the Anne Enright books that I've never read because she is a complete hero of mine. And I, her most recent one, Actress, was just an absolute banger. So um, I now mm. just want to make sure that I go back and read all the ones of hers that I haven't read previously. So I'm actually going to read next um, The Wig My Father Wore, which is her first ever novel, which was published 25 years ago. So I'm What a child. I know, isn't it good? Uh, So (laughs) I'm, it's a very slim book. Um, So yeah, I just can't wait to, like, I love that when there's like a really established, yeah, small, a little, (laughs) toupee. Toupee, yeah. I'm really, I love like reading when there's like these giants of literature. And as I said, she's like literally one of my heroes. The idea of like reading what her debut novel was like, I'm so intrigued. I mean, obviously I'm hoping Mm. that like, I'm sure it would be amazing, but then you're also hoping that like it was merely Come okay because then there's like some hope <laughs> that like progression does occur and we might all improve over time so, so yeah I've got a nice little stash to keep you going for the for the coming months well and yeah just finally uh, another question that we ask every comes on the podcast we have this feature the toilet book the first book that you would reach for should the toilet roll run out um <laughs> Does anything, does anything come to mind? Oh, I mean, it's such a mean question, but I <laughs> yeah. kind of... I mean, you can pick someone who's dead, that's always... That's yeah, just... I know, that is a thing, but I was going to do that. And then I was like, honestly, I think I would reach for... This is awful. I would reach for The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. Um, <laughs> it's long. A, it's yeah, really long. As I was going to say, you get <laughs> loads of new roll out of it. And like, I just didn't, like, I don't know why. It's so, it's such a polarising book. I have friends who like think it's literally the best thing since sliced bread. And I just couldn't get on with it. I just was like wading through treacle. So um, I, and I think her other stuff is is great. Obviously the secret history is amazing, blah, blah, blah. But like, my God, the goldfinch, I just, 
can do it for me. So, yes. It was long, yeah. I could definitely do, you think I could definitely use the Amsterdam part right at the end. That would be... Uh, oh, no, I get the... The um, didn't need it. The Vegas bit in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> You'd go with that first. Yeah, You'd that would be... you get a good few wheeze out of that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm reassured that, you know, whatever happens, you'll be uh, safe with toilet paper. Yes. If you've got the gold finch on your shelf. I do. <laughs> <laughs> for the next few months. <laughs> Okay. Well, thanks so much for speaking to us today, and oh, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks for having it's me. Brilliant it's brilliant book. Been a oh, thank you so much. And I think uh, people will take a lot from it at the moment. Um, it's a great way to kind of ruminate on what's happening to us, but also visit somewhere else to, in order to do it. <laughs> so great. I think because we're all stuck in our houses, that's uh, it's quite a gift. So thanks very much. Oh, thank for you. That. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Let's let's speak again soon. <laughs> Look so after much. yourself. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Well, thanks so much to Ruth Gilligan for yeah. that wonderful yeah, conversation and that blood-soaked reading, <laughs> which has left us um, tantalised. So, if you would like to order a copy of The Butchers, uh, which is published by Atlantic last week please do just get in touch on podcast at birdiefisherbooks.com yeah yeah so what do we got coming up next week dan so me and anthony are going to be talking to dr matthew green about plague and uh it's promising to be a cheerful battle of laughs <laughs> just really lifting people's spirits um, yeah yeah and i'm looking excited about that one though it's gonna be good yeah, 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 it's gonna be awesome. Um, and myself and So are currently reaching out across the web to uh, outposts of literary culture worldwide, and hopefully we should be getting some guests in from some other parts of the world and hearing what's going on with book there. So um, we'll be hearing more about that coming up. I'm going to be talking to uh, booksellers at other independent bookshops mm-hmm. about how they've been experiencing the past few weeks and how they've been coping what they've been doing yeah uh, what they've been reading yeah what their toilet books are yeah <laughs> so yeah that would be great and so we'll be talking to some booksellers and so will anthony so that will just kind of be a, a round robin of um where we're all at and where we hope to be yeah as, as yeah. the situation develops it should be quite fun yeah but i think to to finish off the show are we going to hear from the dan fuller's plague journal uh <laughs> we are indeed. We are. Well, indeed. I hope so yeah. because it is the talk of the literary salons of Bloomsbury. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk out of turn or, you know, kind of. Uh, look, I, there's interest. There's, there's interest. there's interest. There's interest. And you know, some may have compared it to the classic uh, diaries of uh, history, but they will, they shall remain unnamed <laughs> they shall remain unnamed <laughs> i mean let's be realistic there's only one person who needs naming here <laughs> right okay let's well, wrap this up then thanks it's... for joining us again this week and um yeah we'll speak to you next week and here we have dan fuller's plague journal I'm not a f***ing camper. You're a f***ing camper, you f***ing Look, you can f*** off. F*** off back to your mum's f***ing bedroom, all right? Yeah? Yeah? Just f*** off. Oh, shit. Plague Journal. Day 8.
diary, it draws closer to me now. The pestilence which ravages our nation works, nay, claws its way towards my door. With trembling hand, by candlelight, I work upon my manuscript, kept sane by my companions, Shelley, Byron, Rombeau, Dawkins, Archer. These lofty souls lift mine up in turn, and strain my eyes towards heaven while all around me is dirt and filth. My routine has now become so dreary yet nonetheless vital. This morning I alphabetized my everyman. They are such darling additions. When the jackets are removed, the red of their spine soothes me in the hard long hours when I must contemplate the blood of this island. Perhaps in two weeks I may yet have a document prepared that the spiteful publishers who no doubt shall confound me at every turn, will have no choice but to recognize for the earth-shaking quality of its prose. The family next door, an everyday lot who torment me in even the happiest of times, keep me distracted late into the night. In the days, so long ago now, I was merely disturbed by their goggle box and the contemptible love island. But today I long for those days of their shrieking mirth. For now, now I am troubled by grave coughing, wheezing and moaning. It disturbs the clarity of my thought. Although I toil in the name of people such as this, for do not all writers write for the downtrodden, the degraded and the lost, I confess that my patience once so serene grows weary at their thoughtless noise. One ponders in darker moments whether they truly deserve to be saved. This morning I heard a soft rapping at the door. I could be certain it was the souls from the next house. Of course I made certain to bathe thoroughly before attending to the door, settling about my sundry toiletries my pedicure and manicure, and making certain to moisturize. I allowed myself a short sojourn for carrots and hummus, which I noticed with growing dread are running short. Will I soon, in spite of this splendid isolation of mine, have to venture forth to waitrose and grapple with the hysterical masses therein? The banging continued. Again, again, again. After a half hour or so, and with immaculately sanitized hands, I opened the door tentatively. The man stood at a distance, but I could see from the stains on his jeans that he was unkempt and therefore most likely a carrier of the plague. He said, Excuse me, mate, sorry to bother. Only we're running low on bog roll. But Wiley took the tricks of the unwashed. I drove him away with a broom I had to hand. I slammed the door and locked safely behind its soothing mahogany. I lay down breathlessly for a time before returning to my toiletries and to sanity.
Burley Fisher's Isolation Station was brought to you by the team at Burley Fisher Books. Your hosts today were Dan Fuller and Sam Fisher, joined by Ruth Gilligan. This show was produced by Dan Fuller with music by Anthony Hurley. And again, it was made possible by you guys, our listeners and customers. We love you all and keep enjoying the isolation. <laughs>